This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. Welcome to Waterfowl Wednesday. I'm Nick Johnson, your solo host for this week. Let's talk about molts. Molts are on my mind all the time, but especially right now. It is the time of the season when we get our major molt push through the Minneapolis area. I'm checking the night skies, listening for them, and keeping my eyes peeled. And I started a molt migration report on my Snapchat, which has been super interesting to read everybody's responses and their experiences with how many molts they're seeing. So I thought we could uh, just have a little fireside chat with Nick J about molt migrants, what I know, how to hunt them, what I don't know, what I wish I knew, and, uh, and so on and so forth. So let's just start out with what is a molt migrant, and we'll kind of breeze through this a little quickly, but there is always a little confusion about what exactly a molt migrant is. So in Canada geese, they have babies. In the summertime, we all know this, we see them, we shoot them, and then in the wintertime, they're going to head south. Well, come around March, all those little families that are still together, mom and dad are going to take off, and they're going to come up to Minnesota, Wisconsin, Canada, they're going to start standing on ice in the Mar in March and early April, and they're going to start staking territory. They're going to start banging and laying some eggs. Well, all those kids they left behind, they stay behind because Canada geese do not breed until they're about three years old. So what are these one- and two-year-old geese doing? They're eating because when mom and dad come up here and stand on the ice, there's obviously not a lot of food for them. They're staking out territory, and a lot of them don't eat or sacrifice quite a bit of nutrition just to get that spot. 
So they're going to have to wait a matter of a couple of weeks before they can start eating any fresh sprouting anything. So they're struggling, they're suffering. The kids aren't doing that. They're hanging out back down south, congregating, doing what they do. And then up comes the green wave. The green wave is the greening of the continent from the south to the north. It moves about 20 miles every day if you look from outer space. Every day from outer space you'll see the earth going from brown to green about 20 miles a day. So those geese are going to be in that green wave because geese eat sprouts. They eat grass sprouts, bean sprouts. They don't eat grass, they eat sprouts and grain. But mostly in the Mississippi Flyway especially, a goose's favorite food is fresh sprouting stuff. So when the beans start sprouting, that's when the molts start arriving. They have a timeline though. These molts, and I refer to them as molts because these are the non-breeding ones, they are making their way to northern Manitoba and uh, the Inner Lakes region of Canada to molt. Molt is the actual process in which they lose their flight feathers and are remaining flightless for a month. So they call this process the molt migration because you have non-breeding geese headed to an area specifically to do nothing but molt. They're going to hang out there, lose their feathers. There's tons of water, tons of lakes, any predators up there they can swim away from easily. And these are going to be referred to as molt migrating Canada geese. Molting is the actual verb of losing their feathers. Would it be a verb? You know, I didn't pass English class. I don't know. So you got molting, losing your feathers, remaining flightless, and you have a molt migration, geese that are going on a migration to a molting area. Lots of birds do this, but it's very easily observable in waterfowl. And it never fails every year, this, every time, uh, this time of year, every year, I get a lot of messages like, I'm seeing flock after flock, veed up Canada geese headed north. Their timeline is about June 20th, June 25th. None of these geese are going to be able to fly. So there is a mass exodus of non-breeding geese. Not only non-breeding geese, but geese that had a failed nest. If they had their eggs addled, or a coyote came in, or a raccoon scooped up those eggs, mom and dad are not going to hang out in Illinois and then uh, hang out in the 100 degree summertime and be all fat and happy about that one bit. These geese are breeding in the lower 48 continental United States for one reason and one reason only, baby food. They have babies, there's tons of insects around here in the summertime and tons of good nutrition for their kids. If they don't have kids, they out. They are going to Canada and they're gonna eat more sprouts all summer long. Long days up there. Um, there are a lot of them are going almost all the way to Churchill or beyond. And these are molt, molt migrants. That's what I like to refer to them as. And they provide the best hunting that one can get. We'll get to that. But they really started noticing molt migrants while they were banding about 20, 30 years ago. They'd go up to um, the Hudson Bay and they'd start banding all the EPPs and the MVPs and the South James Bay, all the different populations that breed along the Hudson Bay. They're about five to seven pound geese. But when they're up there, all of a sudden they notice like there's a lot of really big geese up here. Like what the hell? Well, they're capturing all of them. They're all molting. And they start finding a bunch of them with bands. And these bands are from Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ohio, Iowa. 
And they're going, this is weird as fuck. Why, why would there be Iowa and New York and all these geese that got banded south and they start noticing a time dip, you know, a time uh, pattern. All these geese are one and two years old. So this became more and more and more observable as the temperate breeding with giants, Canada geese, became more and more and more numerous. So as the population increased, you're going to have more and more and more molt migrants just because there's more, more giant geese out there in the world. And they're actually starting to get a little bit concerned that there's going to be so many molt migrants showing up in the subarctic regions that they're going to outcompete these smaller geese for food resources, which I have my doubts about that. I've got Google Earth. The subarctic region's pretty fucking big in my opinion, I guess. I, I'm not a scientist and I've never helicoptered my ass up there, but um, it's one thing I have seen written. So... When these, uh, when these geese finish getting their feathers, they're not hanging out there for much longer, maybe another few weeks, because about August 20th, it starts getting cold, and they are going to start making their way back into the United States, and this is what I go after. The, pretty much exclusively in September, I, I haven't shot a baby goose for years. I leave those families alone. The only thing I really care about is targeting molt migrant Canada geese, and these are going to be those one and two year old geese, the failed nesters, not only failed nesters, successful nesters that managed to find another goose family to adopt their kids. Matter of fact, I was just, uh, me and my wife just took a walk through the park and there was two adult Canada geese with 13 babies in three different age ranges. So you could tell it was from three different hatches. And uh, I was like, look at these nice parents. So there's four molt migrants that had left that were successful nesters and like, I guess they just, <laughs> I guess they just like swim up into another family of Canada geese. Like, all right, kids, follow your new mom and dad. And boom, we out, we going to Canada. <laughs> like, um, that's called, well, in wood ducks, I know they call it like parasitic nesting. I know redheads will do it with canvas backs and um, mergansers will do it with wood ducks. Well, Canada geese, I don't think they're parasitic nesting. I think they're just letting the babies eat grass with all their little new friends while they just tiptoe away and then boom, you know, nobody's looking, make a run for it. We're out of here. Fuck them kids. <laughs> so they, they take off too. So you got a, a big mix of Canada geese, most all of them in the one to two year old range. But the, I've read studies that also showed that if, if a goose has a failed nest, it's about... 95% likely to engage in the molt migration. So that leaves in the summertime nothing in the United States except for goose mom and dads and goose babies. And we don't get any geese besides those until the molt migrants start arriving, which is going to start occurring around August 20th. Plus or minus. But it's going to start getting cold up there. You're going to start getting light windy, light wind nights. And these geese are going to bounce. And so starting on opening day, even before opening day, I'm starting to watch the weather. Because the weather is going to be the number one key to hunting molt migrant Canada geese. And why do I want to hunt molt migrants? Because they put on a show. If you're there on the right time, in the right place, just a couple little honks and you will get locked wings from a big flock of geese like anywhere from five to 50 
and they seem to not hesitate one bit. These geese have no idea hunting season is going on. They're coming fresh out of Canada or they've trickled their way down through Canada over the last eight to 10 days. Now they're arriving back in the United States. And most of these geese are headed back to where they were born, curiously enough. So if you were born in the Minneapolis area as a molt migrant, you'll probably head there after August 20th. You're making your way back down south through Canada and you're gonna take a track down there. So what's what conditions am I looking to hunt these molt migrants? And I've heard it said, uh, you want northwest winds, and uh, I don't. I want no winds. I want absolutely no winds. I could have a one mile an hour wind out of any direction. That's perfect for molt migrants. What I'm really paying more attention to is that that wind does not get over like five or ten in any direction. I want light, almost no winds, and I want it to be cold up north. Like if the Minnesota border up against Canada is like getting their first 40 degree night of their 32 degree night there's a frost warning up there for the first time of the summer you know it's september 3rd okay there's gonna and there's no winds and it's a starry night yeah there's gonna be molts moving but the best days to hunt molts are gonna be when it's cloudy and that's because cloudy conditions create subdued lighting in this, I mean, we're talking early September, it's still basically summertime. When you get the sun coming up real early, it pretty much kills migratory activity. I'll still go molt migrator hunting on a clear day, but I won't give it very long. Um, once it starts getting bright and my sunglasses go on my face, it's pretty much time to pick up the decoys. If it's a light windy day and it's super dense cloud, cloud cover, I'm out there. I'm out there. If, if it's a Tuesday, I'm getting out there as soon as I'm off of work. As soon as I can get a spread set, there could be geese flying around in subdued lighting coming from the north if it's cold up there, which clouds retain heat. So to get a cold day that's also cloudy, it's it's kind of just hoping for the best. I'm Some years, um, we get all of our molt migrations at night. Geese are birds and birds do all they prefer to do all of their migrating at night geese are no different they will migrate during the day um, if it's subdued lighting and especially if it had been cloudy all that night previous because they will not migrate at night with dense cloud cover they can navigate with starlight even with no moon but you add dense cloud cover in there and it really seems to subdue the migration so why do I say don't care about northwest winds? Why do I say all I care is about is light winds? At a certain, well, I think everybody's experienced this. On a calm day, you're at the truck, your buddy's goose calling. You can hear it like it's right next to your ear. Like you can, it's loud. And when you get in a windy day, say you walk to the truck and your buddy's goose calling and the wind's carrying the sound away from you you can barely hear it and you're like 50 yards back to the spread already you're like man i could barely hear that goose call you were blowing geese also notice this effect and when molt migrants are coming back into their hometown area really what they're looking for is other geese that's why hunting them is so effective and you the at pretty much at about 12 miles an hour wind 
all migration stops. They will they won't even migrate. It's pointless. They can't hear each other. Like they're not gonna fly into a new area and just hope they see other geese. They're gonna use their number one tool for locating friends and safety and food, and that's their vocalizations. So any anytime it's a light wind, cloud cover, cold up north, I'm hunting. Where am I hunting? Anywhere. I would say in my opinion, fields are better than water, but I've had really, really good success on either. When geese get into the area they're looking to land in, it seems like they don't care if it's field or water, they will join their friends. However, I've had a couple really weird experiences when these molts arrive, they're starving, like starving, starving. I've even had snow geese do this in September, like that some random snow goose. Um, where they will land in the spread and start eating and like you'll wipe out their friends or the land when the picture is getting taken and you chase them off like, ah, get out of here, you know, and they won't leave. And they're just eating and eating and engorging themselves. So that's why I would lean towards fields. But the beautiful thing about hunting migrators is you can do it anywhere. You can do it on that little shitty piece of public water nobody ever hunts. You can do it in a grass field that's never had any geese on it. All that matters is that you are noticed by geese and where you're hunting. So when I'm looking at where do I want to hunt Canada geese, I want to be where they're going. <laughs> so if, there, if there's a lot of geese born in Minneapolis, there's going to be a lot of molts coming to Minneapolis. Where am I going to set up around there? On the north side of it because that's where they're coming from. How far north? Not that far. I just want to be as far north so that they haven't gone down into another flock of Canada geese. I want to be like one of the first things they see or hear. Like, you can't set up in an area that's not a staging area. So if these geese are flying 200 miles and you happen to be located 30 miles of that 200 mile journey that they're planning on taking, it doesn't matter if you use a thousand decoys and have 10 power callers. They're just not coming down. They're, you're not in the staging area. So get yourself in a staging area, like if it's on a, if you got a little town, has a lot of baby geese, and it has a good flight line here in September, get on the north side of it, pick out any field with decoy visibility. And I know a lot of people um, think that you want to use a pile of goose decoys and a pile of power callers for hunting molts. And that, it's helpful to a point, you get some diminishing returns from it. But it's really, it's, it, it's just being there. Just be there out hunting when it happens. So statistically speaking, mathematically speaking, there's a five out of seven chance a molt migrator event in September happens on a weekday. Think about it. Monday through Friday, five days a week. There's seven in the week. Set yourself up in the month of September to have some sort of flexibility with your job, pay very close attention to the weather, maybe have a permanent spread set up very close to your house that you can run to and get there when it starts happening because when it starts happening, um, <laughs> you just have to be there or else you miss it. And I've even seen it where like all morning long, it's sunny and there won't be any molts, but it's like a low windy day and it's cold up north 
And all of a sudden from the hours of like 11 to 11.45 a.m., a big bank of clouds rolls through the area. There's molts under those clouds. Like, it's unbelievable. But yeah, their geese will migrate under the clouds. I've seen that many times. So if you're sitting there and it's not really that migratory of a day, it's bright out and uh, kind of warm, and all of a sudden just that wind turns out of the north, it feels a little chilly, and you notice some clouds about to come in, tell the boss, like, <laughs> hey, I'll see you tomorrow. I am going to my permanent spread. So another thing is using a pile of decoys and a pile of power callers, what that's really trying to accomplish is being the loudest megaphone you possibly can be. You can, you're the biggest spread of, hey, notice me, you got the loudest calls of over here. That's all you need to decoy these big flocks of migrators. My biggest, best waterfowl or Canada goose uh, molt migrator hunt, I did over 32 decoys. And this was the scenario on that hunt. It was um, mid-September. We had a field we could hunt that had geese using it. So the guy told me like, hey, I got this field and I never really hunt geese, but maybe we could go out there. And uh, I know geese have been out there. It was a wheat field. And it was mid-September and I go out there and there's grass all growing up in it. And there, in fact, was three Canada geese using it. And I go, yeah, I mean, it's a field. It doesn't really have anything out there. There's not really anything in the area. But tomorrow, I said, um, tomorrow at noon, the winds switch out of the north. We get clouds. It gets cold. Let's be out there for the afternoon. And so we set up at about noon and there in fact there there was some pigeons using it too so i went to walmart i bought some seven shot steel and then we went out there we shot like 20 pigeons and then sure enough the winds came out of the north and we ended up shooting like 10 or 12 canadas that night just between me and one other guy this was in uh, the zone when minnesota had a 10 bird limit for uh that couple of years there and i'm looking at the weather and i'm like dude this is this is just too good to pick up the spread. We need to call into work tomorrow and get our asses back out here. We'll, let's just leave this the way it is. What do you think? He's like, I can do it. So we ended up going back out there and I think by 7.55 a.m. or 8.05 a.m., we killed 19 honkers between the two of us. Just crushed them. It was one of the best hunts ever. I used 32 decoys. That's all we had out there. That was as big as my Dave Smith spread was at that time. That was all my DSDs. And uh, um, we both went to work that day, too. Like, I guess we weren't going to skip work. We were just <laughs> like an hour late each. It was insanity. Um, but you don't need... I mean, that's with 30 decoys and one dude who knows what he's doing on a goose call. It just... We were in the right staging area. And, uh, you know, there's no other microphones out there saying, hey, over here. And there was a lot of what I like to call lost puppies. Just geese flying around going, well, this is where I was headed. If only I knew where I was going. Like, I haven't been here all summer. Haven't really been here since last summer. Oh, shit, right there. Boom, just dive bomb into the spread. That was awesome. And uh, if you go on YouTube, too, on uh it's on, maybe it's either, even on the roost now, but the, uh, what, one thing I always wanted to do was get a molt migrator hunt on film. And we ended up doing that. Uh, Trevor Ludke set it all up with Joe Heinz 
and uh, Scott Trinan came out and uh, we crushed some migrators, a band. We got it all on film. It's on YouTube now. And uh, man, I, I was so happy to be a part of that. And it was always like for years, it was my dream to show the world like what molt migrator hunting was. And it just brings a tear to my eye to think that, that I got to be there when that happened, when uh, we filmed it with Scott and Joe and Trevor. That was so awesome. But the Really, the, the greatest thing about this is anybody can be successful hunting molt migrators. Watch the weather. Be prepared to go hunting. Just be prepared to hunt at any moment in September. And you don't have to shit in anybody's cereal. You don't have to step on anybody's toes. I don't give a fuck about X fields in September. Shoot them babies. Have fun shooting them babies. Take a kid out to shoot those babies. I don't care. I really could care less about, I've seen that movie, that's like Saving Private Ryan, I've seen that shit 500 times, you know, like I don't really need to go get in a fist fight in a wheat field at 3am over a 30 bird fucking feed, that's not really my MO anymore, I've been 16, so my shit is getting out there and being right, being right about when it's going to happen, being there when it does happen and pulling in big wads from outer space. And you don't have to step on anybody's toes to do it. A lot of the hunts I do for molts are on public land. I, uh, I've got a couple of leases I've, been, I've worked out for um, really cheap, really cheap. Just a place I can go to and set my decoys. And you know why they're cheap? Because nobody else wants to hunt there. Nobody else gives a shit. There's no geese there. It's just like a hay field or a pasture, you know? Just, I'm not stepping on anybody's toes to get myself into these really great hunts. And nobody does. We can all go out there, just time it right. And all of us can really have a great goose hunting experience. No cutthroat, no snagging fields under anybody. It, it, this opportunity is out there for everybody. And uh, let's go into the portion. I, I kind of, I said I wanted to talk about what molts are, how to hunt them, and what I don't know. And there's a lot that I don't know. I've said this a, a thousand times. The more I learn about waterfowl, the more I learn, I don't know shit about waterfowl. So what don't I know about molts? Um, I don't know exactly why they're coming down at the time they're coming down. Did the food in Manitoba start running out? Like maybe uh, whatever they were eating is no longer sprouting for them. Did it just get too cold for comfort and they got a little homesick and said they're going back to Iowa? Um, do they smell the silage fields getting cut? Or not smell, but you know how, I don't know, geese have a, that sixth sense where they know where the bait is. Um, do they know all the silage fields are starting to come down? And I don't know. I really don't know what it is. And sometimes I really wonder where they're going. And GPS transmitters has kind of solved that a lot. Like a lot of them are going back to their birthplace. But then... After September, what happens to these molts? Where are they? Because something happens to the families of Canada's that have been hanging out all summer. The babies are easy to tell because when they are born, they're filled with their, their fuzz. They're little fuzz balls. And that little fuzz starts growing into feathers. And when it does, the very tip of those feathers are fuzz and they break off and that's most easy to tell on their tail fans so if you shoot a goose and spread out its tail fan like a tail like a turkey if the tail feathers come to a point 
that's an adult, or it was born last year. And if they come to a V-notch, that's a baby. That V-notch has, has been created because that's where the fuzz used to be, the down. So once the down broke off, boom, you got a V-notch, you have a juvenile goose. Well, in about mid-October, those feathers also fall out and they grow new tail fans. It's not like a summer molt where they lose their ability to fly. Geese are always just kind of, you know, a, a, a December goose looks prettier than a September goose. Even if it's an adult, they're always getting new feathers. They just lose their flight feathers in the summer. So sometime mid-October, late October, these juvies also lose those tail fans with the V-notches, now rendering it impossible to tell an adult from a juvenile, especially now they're starting to get really nice colors and they're starting to get their winter coats. So now we've got a lot of the molts that have returned to the United States. We cannot tell which ones are juvies anymore. And I really just, do they integrate back in with the families? Do the molts continue to do their own thing? Like they're all one to two year old geese. Maybe they're just staying away from the kids and the families. Do the families congregate and you get pods of geese that are families and they migrate, migrate to this area and pods of geese that are molts that migrate to a different area? I don't know. I really don't know. I haven't found any studies that have really separated that out so far. Really, they're, they're just starting to learn more and more about molts now with these new GPS transmitters, other than these observations that they've had of, oh, there's certainly a lot of adult, childrenless, giant Canada geese in the subarctic. Another phenomenon that's, uh, that has been leading to this molt migration theory is this is not uncommon. In fact, most states in the lower 48 that have done Canada goose banding studies and, and studied it for mortality find that adult Canada geese die more than juvies, which is opposite than like snow geese and specks. Usually the juvies and ducks, the juvies are kind of the suckers. The juvies come into the decoy spreads. Well, with Canada geese, that's different. Giant Canada geese. Giant Canada geese, you got two guides escorting around their family. So all these juvies that are so dumb, they've got at least two per six of them so there's six babies, four babies, there's two geese that are, are both at least three years old, both pretty smart enough, they're smart enough to not get murdered by the time they're three, they know how to avoid decoy spreads, and they're telling kids where to go, where not to go. So you know, on these band studies, they're having mortality rates of adults be higher than juvies, and they're going, what the fuck is going on? And a lot of those adults are getting killed north of where they were banded the year or two previous. Hmm, curious, right? So what they figured is this is happening because of the exposure to hunting during the molt migration. And they're absolutely right. There is no more vulnerable flock of geese than those molts. It's like they're reckless teenagers showing off to their buddies like, hey, we can fly again. They don't know hunting season's going on. They've been up in the Interlake region of Canada all summer long and now they're coming back to their hometown and they're showing it's almost like they're showing off when they come down out of the sky like look at me you know i graduated here last year look at you pussies still eating those grasshoppers huh like i've been eating good tundra grass all summer like it, they are bombing into decoy spreads 
And it is not uncommon for a, a Minnesota molt migrator hunter to get a band or sometimes sometimes a couple of bands on a molt migrator hunt. And a lot of times for us, they're from like Iowa or from like Southern Minnesota, but you can almost guarantee that band is going to be one to two years old. Banded last summer or banded the summer before last summer. So there's a ton of unknowns and I probably have said at least 17 wrong things and we'll learn more about it as we go. But this is to me the funnest group of Canada geese to hunt in the best time of year to hunt. I like hunting when it's warm. Um, it gives me good opportunity. It's the most exciting. It gives everybody that exciting opportunity. And, and there's a, there's still a ton of mystery and mystique about the phenomenon of a molt migration. There are geese that will engage in this molt migration. These geese that do this, their parents didn't show them Canada. They didn't show them Northern Manitoba. Their parents didn't birth them in like Des Moines and then bring them to Churchill last summer. But for some reason, those geese know to go to Churchill. You know, it's just, it's, it's really mysterious. It's really cool. It's, I don't know if it's instinctual or if they're following their homies, but, or if they're following failed nesters, which still doesn't make sense. I don't know. There's so much mystery to it and so much cool opportunity that comes about from it. And it's such a spectacle of migration that it, it's definitely sunk its hooks deep into me. And, uh, if you haven't researched molt migrants or made a point to hunt molt migrants, um, you really should. And I hope this podcast has, um, has a little fire underneath you to learn more or reach out to me and tell me I'm dead wrong about something or something you've noticed, anything. And uh, don't forget that when you're hunting these molts, check out Boss Ammunition. Um, talking about a lot of science stuff here, it's just science bismuth hits harder than steel. Uh, there's nothing I hate more than crippling one of these fascinating, amazing animals. I shoot to kill, and I eat my molts. So I don't spend no time in no brush looking for no cripples. That is, like, against my religion, and that's why I'm very happy to have Boss um, supporting us and uh, supporting us as a waterfall community as well and making us pattern our shotguns, learning how to be more ethical hunters and spending less time chasing cripples. So check out Boss Ammunition, check out statistics, check out Bismuth versus Steel shot statistics, um, check out pellet counts, do your research on this stuff and you're gonna really kill a lot more birds, or fewer shots, and you won't be chasing cripples. And uh, thank you very much for listening today. Appreciate having you all guys um, listening to my ramblings. Later. Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.